It's Ephesians chapter 2. You can turn in your Bibles there, Ephesians chapter 2. You can find it on uh, page 977 in your pew Bible. We're going to stay in the second half of this chapter, starting in verse 13. Uh, the bulletin says 14, but, but I've decided we're going to add an extra verse in for us all this morning. Verse 13. So if you'll stand together with your Bibles in your hands and as we read these words of Paul... It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the Christ, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. That is God's word. You can have a seat and just reflect for a moment on God's word. We live in such a mobile society that Oftentimes, the congregation that's here this morning, next year will be slightly different with people moving on and, and um, moving away to different cities and, and God calling them to different ministries. And now this morning, the 31st of December, I see a lot of people who I no, normally get to see, and I'm just so excited to see you guys, uh, some who've come to visit and some who've come back for the holidays. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Um, and I also want to welcome those who are new to our church, who are guests, who are coming uh, in from the outside. We want to say to you that we are very glad that you're here as well. Um, so this morning, the sermon is called uh, Diverse Union. Uh, the theme of this sermon, of, of this passage, really is that, that we are saved together, that we are joined together. Uh, the key word there is together. <laughs> we are saved from separation vertically from God, but we're also saved from separation horizontally from one another. And so this morning we're looking at the aspect of being united together. A local church in step with the gospel is never voluntarily homogenous. That is what the New Testament insists on, and that's what we're going to talk about a little bit this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, as we open these scriptures, pray that you would uh, clear out the confusion. For those of us who are confused, we, we want clarity and we want truth. We need wisdom. God, for those of us who, who understand what this text is saying and are fearful, God, we pray for courage. And when we ask for wisdom, truth, courage, power, we're really asking for your spirit. Not merely a book that we read, but your spirit to help us unpack what is being presented to us this morning and apply it to our lives. God, give us what we need. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so let's start with this question. What does it take 
to be an American hero. You know, there's two ways to skin that cat. There's, a, there's two ways to look at what it means to be an, a hero in our society today. One is old, one is traditional, and one is new and modern. The old version is to lose yourself for the greater good. But the modern version is a little different. It's to find yourself for the greater you. Let me give you a couple quotes. One quote, you'll probably know this halfway through the quote. Here it goes. We all end up dead. It's just a question of how and why. Every man dies. Not every man really lives. I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men, and free men you are. What will you do with that freedom? Will you fight? And they say, no, we'll run and live. Yes, fight and you may die. Run and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now. Do you know it yet? What is it? Braveheart. <laughs> Would you be willing to trade all those days from this day to that one for one chance, just one chance? I'm painting my face blue. To come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. So that, that's William Wallace, obviously, Mel Gibson, Braveheart. Um, okay, that's the traditional hero. Here's the, the, another way to be a hero. Climb every mountain, ford every stream, follow every rainbow till you find your dream. <laughs> right? It goes from losing yourself to finding yourself. Right? It's the modern way. It, you think about our society, moral relativism, which says that your good, your version of good and right is the version of good and right. So make it up. Hedonism. Pleasure is the only intrinsic good. Right? That, that, your pleasure is the only intrinsic good. Existentialism. Your purpose is made by you. So go and figure out why you exist. Democracy. People should be able to choose their own government. Everyone gets a vote. All of these modern value systems, the way we choose our heroes, right? It's all emphasizing the individual. Now, the point here is emphasizing the individual is not biblical. Uh, let me say that a different way. Only emphasizing the individual is not biblical. That's the American way. We're going in a direction that if you tie yourself to the word of God, it tethers you to bring you back. And so in scripture, we see this tension between the community and the individual. So if you ask the question, a simple question, what is salvation? You need to answer that question from a biblical perspective, both in terms of community and the individual. So let's think about the Bible for a second. Let's just think through the Bible. Do you see in the Old Testament examples of God emphasizing the community? Of course you do. God works through nations to reach other nations. God uh, judges nations according to the nation's sins. It's been communally, communally passed down from one generation to the next, right? So God is, is interested in the Old Testament and community, but not exclusively. You might forget about the biographies. The biographies of the Old Testament are, are very personal and intimate. The story of Moses, the story of Joseph, Ruth, Esther, these are all deeply individualized experiences. And the book of Psalms is one of the most individualistic books in the Bible. God knows me, counts the hair on my head, knit me in my mother's womb, knows my inmost being. I remember the one that scared me was God knows what I'm going to say before I say it. 
And I used to trick God. <laughs> I got you. You didn't see that coming. So God knows us individually. It's there. The tension is there. And the, the problem that we have is, is humans is that our culture tends to push us more in one direction or the other. And so for America, we get pushed in the direction of the individual. So this morning, we're going to focus on community. Think about your faith. Does the culture out there come into this place here and influence your Christianity, your faith? Yeah, of course it does. I read a, a passage from a book Mike Spiegel wrote. Retro Christianity says, today most evangelicals are heirs to the extreme individualistic approach to the spiritual life. For example, many, if not all of you, were not converted to Christianity or admitted into the Christian church, but you accepted Jesus as your personal savior, he says. And then to follow up that, you know, to live the Christian life, the essence of the Christian life is to, to pray and read your Bible and have a really great uh, personal one-on-one time with the Lord. And then the emphasis continues to say to work on your personal relationship with God. So that's kind of the direction uh, that our culture is now pushing us as the church. And so this morning, I kind of want to balance the scale a little bit. I want us to go back and, and rethink through Ephesians 2 with this community aspect in our minds. Uh, and see the diverse union that Paul's talking about here. Ephesians 2, 5. Look down there. Actually, in verse 4, I'm going to read a little bit. It says, but God. There it goes. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Now, obviously, I mean, I'm reading this. 2, 5, 2, 8, and 9, this is between me and God, individually, personally, right? God had mercy on me. God loved me. God saved me from my sins. I was dead in my sins, and God brought me back to him. But you, you, you don't even see it, do you? God made us alive together with Christ. Inextricably, you can't disconnect the community from that. So what is salvation? See, that's a, that's a hard thing. If you read Ephesians 2 with that in your mind and you think community, you're going to see something you might not see as an American. Okay, so let's move on. As we look at Ephesians 2, we're going to see uh, uh, in terms of this community that's being formed here, uh, we are going to see uh, a number of things. But since this is a sermon, this is, uh, we're going to limit ourselves to, to three things. No surprise there. First, we're going to look at the community divided. Then we're going to look at the community united. Then we're going to look at the community designed. There's a, there's a purpose, in other words, to that community. Now, by the way, this has been an ongoing discussion uh, over the last couple of years here at Christ Community, right? There's a, a, a racial reconciliation Bible study that's been going on. And a lot of the outreach ministries that we're a part of are forcing the leaders and the volunteers to come together and say, what is our community again? What are we trying to do here? What, what are our goals? Are we moving out in a way that's not wise or too quick or whatever? You know, we're just, we're just trying to think this through. And so this, today we're just going to further that discussion. So let's look at the community divided. In Ephesians 2, you'll start in verse 12, and you'll see the division very clearly. It says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. So from Christ, from this nation of Israel, the people of God, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Far off, says verse 13. 14 says hostility, a dividing wall. Skip down to 19. You see the words strangers 
and aliens. That is division in the Ephesian church. There's a group of diversity out there that separates people one from another. That's the Ephesian church. Now, you look at America. I don't have to prove this to anyone here. Is America fractured? Just think of all the ways we're fractured. I'm not even talking about the church with all the denominations and theological orientations out there. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking just talk about the secular world in America, the culture that we live in. I, I watched the end of 2017, oh, kind of you know show on YouTube, and it was terrible because what I learned that there were 105 prominent men that were accused by hundreds of women, right? Who accused them of some kind of sexual assault of some kind. So now women and men are fighting. How about rich and poor? Just think of tax reform, right? We have a new tax reform, and some of us are saying yes, and some of us are saying no, the poor are being forgotten. No, they're not. We're helping the middle class. It'll trickle down. No, it won't. It helps the rich. You know? So now we're fighting amongst each other about the rich and the poor and who's getting what in our political system. And then, of course, one of the biggest tensions that we have, one of the most intense situations we have is racial tension. Police shootings, historical monuments being destroyed, kneeling for the national anthem, a president who won't stop tweeting. I mean, just the constant, you know, it just stirs things up. And before you know it, you have an extremely volatile situation. And and race especially is, is deeply sensitive and delicate, right? How many of you are super comfortable talking about race in a diverse situation? Some of us might not even know the words we're allowed to say in that context. We don't want to be rude. We don't want to offend. We we want to not forget historical things that maybe we do. And and so you you just you go in with a lot of hesitation. And and in America today, it's exasperated. When's the last time you were offended or disheartened? or annoyed by a a racial tension that that you came into contact with, with all these headlines coming out. It's resulted in what the American Dialect Society's word of 2016 is, dumpster fire. If that's not part of your vocabulary, what that means is that in the trash heaps of America, there's a fire that started, gets out of control, and burns with chaos. Kind of like the California real fire, the physical fires. But in in our society, in our culture, you've got all these dumpster fires out there. And race is one of the biggest dumpster fires that we know. Well, the other problem we have with this is that we have largely, as Americans, lost the ability to discuss or converse, like civilly, right? And, and genuinely, listening actively, not to form your own argument, but to learn. Are you listening to me? Are you really? I mean, we have largely lost that with the news media encouraging us to get all excited and, and, and angry. And, and then social media, we think social media unites. It doesn't. Social media doesn't. It, it divides. Social media is my likes and not my likes, my friends and not my friends, my preferences and not my preferences. And you get out in social media and all of a sudden you have anonymity and then anything comes out. And it's, it's corrosive to the discussion. And, and just sitting down face to face, having a conversation where you actively listen to learn 
is something of a lost art in America. So that's our secular society. Is it, is it coming in here? Do we have walls between us and the world to say, that's them, but that's not us? Or does it seep in, creep in? Does it slip in? Martin Luther King said, April 17, 1960, it's a famous quote, you might have heard it, 11 o'clock Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week in America. He was talking, obviously, just about at race at that point. Fifty-five years later, in 2015, pastor and author Derwin Gray, he's out of uh, Charlotte, leads a church in Charlotte, he said the exact same thing. That's what he said. That the 11 o'clock hour is the most segregated hour in America. Now, his church, he claims, is 55% white people and 45% everybody else. And, and you know what he says? Even though it's segregated on Sunday morning, it's possible not to be. And when I heard that, my eyes squinted. You know, I was like, really? <laughs> is that... It's hard to think about that. It's hard to think about that. We all know. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say we all know Revelation 7. I, I, I'll read it right now. As soon as I read it, you'll get, yeah, I know that verse, right? It's Revelation 7. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, saying, salvation belongs to our God. I mean, it's this wonderful scene that's at the end of time where God brings all the, not just this church right here, but everyone who is a Christian across the globe, across history, together in one place. That no one here would say, oh, yeah, that's, that's homogenous. We, it's not going to be diverse. Nobody says that. Everybody thinks that's going to be diverse. The question is, can we have a little Romans 7, Revelation 7 right now? Today? That's, that's, that's hard. It's like most of us would say, ooh, that's, that's difficult. And it is difficult. And I'm right there with you saying it. So Ephesians 2, let's move into Ephesians 2 again and see what this community looks like when it's united. Let's look at the process of integration that is so difficult to achieve. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away been brought near. 14, he himself is our peace, our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. You see, what he's talking about there at that moment is not necessarily the, the, hosti- the wall of hostility that divides you and God necessarily. It's, it's, he, he made the two groups one. He destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility between the two of them. His purpose, later on in 15, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, peace between people. So all throughout here, verse 19, skip down there. It says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners, no longer strangers. You're fellow citizens with God's people. Uh, You're made equal with God's people together and also members of his household. So we're all family. That's what that means. That's what the word household means, that we're all family. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. 21, we're joined together we, we, we rise to become a holy temple. And in him, verse 22, we are built together. So the, the way that we are united is that we are built and joined and the wall is brought down low and we come together. 
And there's four things that I immediately see, almost immediately there. First, now. Second, new. Third, ongoing. And then fourth, really, really hard. So those are the four principles. First, now. When is this diverse union supposed to occur according to Ephesians 2? You look at verse 13, it's right there. But now. So that's pretty easy to interpret, right? It's now. All right, so now. Okay, so now. Uh, there's other words. There's verbs later on in the passage that, that say that we are being built together or we are a family or members. So all of those are present tense. It's not something that we're just waiting for over there and we don't engage in it now. That, that's, the, that's what I'm learning from Ephesians 2. And that's difficult. Well, we'll get to difficult. That's the fourth thing. Second, not only that, is it now, it is uh, new, something that's brand new. This is the words that Paul uses in, in uh, verse 15. He, he makes one new man or one new humanity. I looked at that word and I read the commentaries and this is what it said. I think, I think you probably know this. If you don't, it's very interesting. Yeah, n- the word new is not like new version. It, it means new kind. So let me demonstrate that just real simply. It's like if you got the brand new 2018 Toyota Camry, right? The AC controls, the steering wheel, the way you put it into drive, it's pretty much the same as the 2017, 16, 15, 14, 13. But it's just a newer version. It's updated. There's new seats. There's new colors. There's new this. There's new that. But basically, you get into a Toyota Camry, you're going to be able to drive down the road. You're going to know most of everything Otherwise, they wouldn't sell very many of them. That's not the new that's in Ephesians 2. You see, the new that it, that's in Ephesians 2 is a, is a new type of transportation device, like a jet pack. So if I pull up with a 2018 you know, Camry and I say drive around the block, you're like, okay, good. And you might go a little slower to get used to it, right? But if I strap a jet pack on you, how are you going to feel? How does this work? The control module, but what do I do? How do I do? And almost immediately with this new kind of thing, what do you do in that moment of confusion? You look to the owner's manual, right? You look to the builder of the jetpack. How do I operate this thing? And that's, that's how you and I are in this new community. No one here is an expert on how to do this. We're all flying a jetpack for crying out loud, and we have no idea what we're doing. So we need grace. We need patience. We need to keep talking and keep coming back, right? Everyone in this room is going to make a mistake because it's never been seen before. It's never been done before. This thing that Christ is creating among his people is something that is not in this world or of this world, right? It is something that he is building anew. So that's the new part. Here's, a, here's an interesting thought I had as is, is we think about the word racial reconciliation, just in our context in America today or in the American church. So black people, white people, we're trying to do racial reconciliation. But think about the word reconciliation. That's difficult. Let's say you and I are friends and we love each other and then we fight. So now we're sitting down together and we're talking maybe with a mediator, but we're working our problems out. 
You can call that reconciliation because you and I are reconciling to a previous love. We're restoring to a previously held friendship that we once had. But racially in America, white people and black people, were we ever friends? Can we ever go back and say, let's reconcile to a place in history where we were, we got along really well? You can't because we never did. Right? I mean, how ridiculous would it be to go back? Put people on boats and sail them back to Africa and Europe. And then the Native Americans come back. I don't know. What is this? this is ridiculous. We can't do that. We can't go back. And that's the beauty of the gospel is it says you don't, you don't go back. Your new community is a new kind of community. So don't go back in time and say, let's go back to the 60s or 50s or 30s. We're going towards Christ, which is a brand new direction and brand new culture, brand new reality. Um, another thing I learned from this community combining and coming together is it's ongoing. Look at verse 21 and 22. It says, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. This is an ongoing process. It's not something that just happens in one day. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So we are becoming we're growing. There's an organic development. There's a dynamic way to look at this union that's coming. It's not finished. It started. It may be declared true, but reality needs to be worked out. Now, swing back in your American mind to the individual side of things. Isn't that how you're saved? You're, comp- you're declared just, just, justified, righteous before God. But then you spend the rest of your life working out that reality, right? That's the process of sanctification. In terms of community, it's the same way. We're declared a family, but are we? No. I don't know you. You don't know me. My background's different than yours. We need to work this out. So it's hard. It's hard. That's the fourth thing. This is where I put my hand on my, my forehead. And I think, oh, what, what, what have we got ourselves into? It's so much easier just to be around people like me, to get from point A to point B with someone who's different than me, not just racially, but culturally, linguistically different than me, right? To to, to talk to someone like that, to get something done is so much more difficult. But that shouldn't stop us. Sanctification is always hard. It's always painful. Sanctification is the constant exposure of our wicked hearts before a holy God. You feel that? Welcome home. <laughs> this is the rest of your life. Now, new, now, it's ongoing, it's hard. Those things we learn from Ephesians 2. Is Ephesians 2 the only passage in the Bible? Because if it is, maybe we can just call it weird and just kind of write it off. But it's not. If you start reading through the other passages, you begin to see patterns. First Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul writes, I'm free to all. I'm free from all. Now, his freedom means culturally. He is free from his, his culture. If he was an American, he would stand here and say, I'm not really an American. I'm not really a Democrat or a Republican. I'm not really a white, middle-aged, middle-class man. I mean, I'm not those things in Christ. Now, I do come from those things. 
and I live in this world, and I do have those things still with me. But he would say in 1 Corinthians 9, I am free from all, but though I am free from all, I have willingly and voluntarily made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Now, verse 20, this is interesting. Paul says, blows my mind every time I read it, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. That would be like me saying, to the white people, I become like a white person. And you're saying, David, you're white. <laughs> you're white. Yeah, David, you're white. Yeah, Paul, you're a Jew. <laughs> you're like a Pharisee of a Pharisee of a great Pharisee. But no, he says, no, 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 not really. In Christ, I'm not that. I'm free from that. And then he says to the weak, I become like the weak. To the, those outside the law, I become like those outside the law. See, so Paul can flex. But the problem is a lot of us flex and then stay flexed. Paul doesn't do that. Paul flexes, wins them, and brings them back to Christ, this new kind of community that we're talking about, to the jetpack. I like that image of our church. <laughs> Acts chapter 10 is another one, Cornelius and Peter. P- Peter is forcibly pushed into Cornelius' life. Cornelius is the Roman centurion, the Gentile, and Peter gets to his door and says, the law won't let me eat with you. I'm not sure I should do this. Right, But God has forced me to do it, so I'm going to go ahead and give it a shot. So he comes in, and Cornelius says, okay, um, therefore, Peter, we are all here, my household, my Gentile household, in the presence of God to hear all that you, Peter, have been commanded by the Lord to teach us. And Peter opened his mouth and said, now I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right and acceptable in him. So Peter going into the house of Cornelius. That's a little bit of Revelation 7 now. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message. This is John the Apostle, a different apostle. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with God and we walk in the darkness, we lie. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with I would say God right there. But what he says is we have fellowship with one another. It's a new kind of community. We're coming together in a mysterious, Paul calls it mysterious way, confusing. In other words, mysterious is kind of like, okay, I need to be shown something here because I don't see it. I look back in the corridors of history. I can't see. I don't know what I'm doing. And, and that, that's kind of how I feel. I don't know how this community is going to work out here at Christ Community or in Wilmington. I don't know. But I'm pushing forward because I'm, I'm, Scripture's encouraging me to take a step. And that's where I think we need, to, we need to land there. No, we're not going to create this overnight. But the same way you slay an idol over time, Right? It's the same way you do that. It's the same way you and I are going to proactively rethink our community and move just maybe one step. Just think about that, says Paul. All right, so now we're moving in. Uh, if, if it's really difficult to do, if it makes us all very tense, uh, then it better be worth it. That's, that's what I'm t- telling Paul in Ephesians 2. It better be worth it, Paul, because there's a lot of pain coming my way, and I want to make sure it's worth it. And that's the beauty of Ephesians 2, that this diverse union has a design. Let's let's look at it. Verse 21, in him, the whole building is joined together. And then that's that's not the end. It rises. Think about that word rises. 
so that people can see it, right? It rises up. So it's a grand and glorious thing, this new community. And what is being done in this community? It becomes a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together. Here it is to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. Is that not beautiful to you? I mean, that God is, is going to, his home on earth is this diverse union that we are cooperating with and creating together with his spirit. So God, before time began, Ephesians 1, chose and predestined and set it all up. God the Father did that. And then we get into Ephesians 2, you see that Jesus becomes the cornerstone, you know, killing the dividing wall of hostility, breaking it down. And then we come together as he's the cornerstone, bricks are added, and the diversity that comes in becomes unified together in a mysterious, we don't really know how way, and then God's spirit lives there. That's the gospel (laughs) in a beautiful way. And I think if we, if we just think individually, we'll miss that beautiful picture. This is the glory of the gospel for all the world to see. The angels marvel at this. So will the world see God's glory? Will they see the dynamic power of the gospel? Will they be saved? Will they be made into a disciple of Jesus? Where's all that going to happen where God's spirit lives and can be seen in a diverse union called the church. So here's some questions and then I'll end. Questions for you and I to think about. Are you ready to become a little bit more like Revelation 7 today? In, in, in this church, in this local church. Why or why not? It's a question. How do you see yourself culturally, politically, How important is your earthly connections and heritage? It's another question. Can you be joined together with different, sometimes very different people? Is that that possible? And then what are we as a church, what are we going to miss out on if we stay in our comfort zones? That's the drifting question, right? Drifting. If we just, if we don't think about this, we'll drift into our comfort zone. And and then what are we going to miss out on? Those are questions that might be answered by this text. My encouragement, Paul's encouragement from Ephesians 2, is to come and be joined together. You will lose a lot, but you will gain the presence and the glory of God himself. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that this uh, reality that's been expressed in Ephesians 2 would begin to become a reality here, that we would never drift, never just slip into our comfort zones, but that we would allow Scripture to speak to us and to move us in the direction the gospel is taking us, wherever that is. Again, if we are confused, bring truth and wisdom. And if we are fearful, we pray that through your Spirit you would give us courage. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.